Take off your pants. Unleash your true self. Real unicorns don't wear pants. Alright, earmuffs kids. I learned everything that I ever needed to know about sales from selling drugs and booze. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. But you know, it serves. It serves. These these skill sets that we learn um, while doing nefarious behavior is absolutely set us up for success in the real world because we learn how all of these things work. We're talking about supply and demand, buying at wholesale, um, networking. <laughs> these are all key ingredients for being really successful, uh, whether you're selling drugs or booze or courses, right? It's all kind of the same thing. We learn sales from the prostitutes anyways. We're not reinventing the wheel here. Um, we're understanding basic mechanics of why things sell at the rate that they do and at the prices that they do, right? That's what sales really is, is that understanding that mechanism of human behavior of why we want to purchase things um, and why we invest as much as we do into certain things. So let's start with drugs, shall we? <laughs> it's so much more interesting than courses. Okay, so once upon a time, um, I won't name the names in this one, but back when I was selling drugs, right? Um, my kids don't listen to this part. Okay. You, you turn this podcast off right now. <laughs> okay. When I was selling drugs, this was something that I got to understand very quickly because I got to sell drugs with people who were not very good at selling drugs. Um, and watching them fuck up, um, when I was a pretty young teenager, like that helped me to understand, uh, why so many people got caught, uh, why so many people, um, you know, fell head over heels in love with the drugs and ended up doing all the drugs and ODing. Like I saw how this all worked. Right. And I saw the mechanism of change happen right before my eyes as I watched people who were quote unquote normal um, all through high school, like go through this very interesting mindset shift as they became successful drug dealers. And they really tapped into this different level of their ego. And I'm sure, you know, the illicit substances don't help with that, but it's really about the money, right? It's about that feeling like I'm a baller and everybody needing something from you all the motherfucking time. Okay. So there's the thing that happens in sales. In the beginning, you're in this state of neediness, right? You need your clients to buy from you. Um, because of a lot of different reasons. I mean, because of money, uh, because of status, because of the feeling that, hey, this is a real job and I can quit my nine to five and I can be supported in this um, because we need approval, right? We need our parents to sign off on this. We need our spouse to sign off on it. We want somebody to, to validate us and tell us like, oh yeah, you really are making money at this. And that money is proof that this is a real job, right? Like that's what we're looking for is that kind of external boost. Um, and in selling drugs, it's not really any different, right? We're trying to get our corner share of the market and we're trying to get in with, with the best supply to have the best product um, to be able to charge the highest prices. Because when you have the best product, you have a monopoly um, on the, the entire industry, right? Is that in your local market share, you can really control the supply and demand pricing um, as long as you have that main source in your pocket, you're in control. And I grew up in a pretty small town, so that wasn't that hard. Um, in bigger cities, obviously, there's there's a lot more competition for this. But in a smaller town, like if you get in with the guy at the top, you're in with the guy at the top. And that comes, of course, from relationship building. And this is a very important part of sales is that you need to be able to understand what drives people, right? What makes them feel alive? What makes them say, I want to be a drug dealer? <laughs> 
I want to be a good drug dealer. What makes them say that? Well, for some people, it's definitely the money, right? Is that they want the money because they want the status. They want the fucking baller car. Um, they want people to look at them and say, wow, like that guy's fucking dressed really nice, right? Whatever it is, there's that status click. But at some point in that journey of you getting money and supposedly the things that you want, the neediness flips over. Because in the beginning, when you're selling drugs, you need customers, right? But as word of mouth travels, as swiftly as it does when you're moving cocaine, <laughs> too swiftly sometimes, um, all of a sudden, that flips over. And now everyone needs you. Your phone is blowing up motherfucking constantly. You got people hitting you up left and right, day and night. Doesn't fucking matter. Like, let me get some of that shit. Let me get some of that shit. People are begging to pay you. And this does happen in the coaching industry as well. And you see it with the gurus is that you see people lining up um, for these, these big name brands and saying, yeah, 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 let me in. Like, you know, I, I want to be a part of this thing. And the people at the top of that chain start to get this different attitude, right? This kind of swagger comes in this like, um, I mean, sometimes it gets completely out of motherfucking control and you see people just, I mean, take it to the extreme of being complete and utter fucking worthless trash assholes to people because it's like, I don't fucking need your money. Like go fuck yourself. I have more money than I could ever fucking need. So if you're not going to do exactly what I say in the way that I do it, then fucking suck my dick. Like I don't care. Kick rocks. Right. And so this element of hospitality completely motherfucking disappears. But let me tell you why I was so good at selling drugs because no matter how good of a dealer supply relationship I had, no matter how good my product was, no matter how much money I was making, I never lost that feeling of hospitality. <laughs> I still treated people like I needed them, even though I very much didn't. I still gave them that feeling of like, hey, and like not in the way that made it so that they didn't want to buy from me. Right. Like it wasn't like that where it was like, oh, my God, buy my stuff. Right. I wasn't begging for the sale. But when the sale came, I didn't treat them like they were fucking worthless pieces of shit, even if they were. <laughs> I didn't. I still gave them that full service level of not that kind of full service, that full service level of hospitality. And I still treated people really well. And I still met when I met up with them, I was on time and I didn't short them on their orders and I gave them good hookup deals. Um, and I built and fostered long term relationships with that. Um, and that really helped me to set myself apart from the competition. And this industry is no motherfucking different. I have that promise to myself that no matter how much money I make, no matter how successful I become in this thing, that I will not stop treating people like people. They will still be people to me. They will not just be numbers, um, you know, or little people running around with little baggies of like a little baggie of cocaine dinging over their head. <laughs> They're not baggies. They're not, they're not ounces. Like they're people. And so I've been able to maintain this throughout drug dealing. So it's much easier to maintain that. <laughs> much easier to maintain that in the coaching industry. Um, and certainly in the bar industry as well, right? Is because in bar industry, we focus on the hospitality element, which is something that completely lacks in drug dealing and completely lacks in the coaching industry. So because I had that bridge of selling drugs to selling booze, to selling coaching, right? That really strong root of hospitality that I developed when I was selling alcohol is absolutely what helps me to be successful in this industry, right? It's a competitive edge component. And that's why I was good at selling drugs. And that's why I'm good at selling coaching, because I can see why it matters. 
that relationship build is not just for the relationships that you have with your clients. It's the relationships that you have with the people who don't buy from you. It's the relationships that you have with the people who you buy from, right? My supplier relationships when I was selling drugs were very important to my success, right? If those motherfuckers cut me out of the chain, I was fucked. Like, and I wasn't going to allow that to happen. I was always going to be the fucking crowd favorite. I was always going to show up. I was going to fucking throw out some extra money. I was going to do all the things, jump through all the extra fucking hoops to make sure that I was always first in line because that's what was best for me. That was what was best for my customer line. And really being in that mindset made it so that I never got too big for my britches, which meant that I didn't get caught either. I didn't get myself into trouble because I didn't have this fucking unstoppable ego thing that happens um, to a lot of people when they start making more money than they're used to having. Um, they start acting differently. They start being in that state of mind of fuck you and, you know, I do what I want, <laughs> um, which is not a good attitude to have when you have a trunk full of fucking illicit substances and a bunch of baggies and a scale. It's not a good idea to fucking act like that. Um, and keeping your ego in check and being humble, well, I mean, that's part of it right? That's part of it. You want to be able to have the swagger component, right? And the respect component without being a complete motherfucking douchebag. <laughs> it's a fine line. It really fucking is. And so in understanding this mindset piece of whether that's selling drugs or selling booze or selling coaching programs, it's really being able to step into that persona and the labels that you put onto yourself throughout the process, right? If you tell yourself, like, I'm a drug dealer, then all of a sudden you start acting like a drug dealer and how you perceive drug dealers to act. And you start owning that label, right? If you say, I'm a bartender, then you start acting like a bartender. You start owning that label. You say, I'm a coach. Um, then you start owning that label. If you say, I'm a successful coach, you start owning that label, right? So the label that you put on yourself is far more important than the label that anybody else is going to put on you because that is a reflection of how you think and feel about you. So that dictates your behavior line. So rather than even at a very young age in my teenager years, right? Rather than going into this thing of like, I'm a drug dealer, like that was never, I never said that. I never created that, that persona for myself, right? I was always like, I was always just like the cool chick with the friends, like just chilling, right? With my mouth shut. Like I didn't have to fucking be the center of attention. I didn't have to fucking walk into the room and have everyone stop like so many of those other fucking douchebags would do. Like that's not how I did shit. And I didn't fucking demand attention. And I didn't make a big fucking scene when I was dropping shit off. And I didn't make you feel like a dick for buying shit from me. I didn't put step into that role because I never associated myself as a drug dealer. I always told everyone that I was an entrepreneur. <laughs> Because I was. I was buying in bulk. I wasn't fucking at the bottom of the chain, right? I was buying in bulk and I was selling to people that were selling to other people um, and really being in that space of making smart decisions and quality over quantity and wasn't in this thing of selling anything to anybody. I didn't do that. I had a very specific niche um, of who I was selling to. And that afforded me a lot of protection. It afforded me a lot of safety. Um, it afforded me a lot of motherfucking money, right? Uh, I didn't do great things with that money. I didn't. I was just too young to be smart. Um, and then, of course, I got pregnant and everything changed, right? <laughs> Boom, everything changed. But in my teenage years, like, 
I was very wise for my age when it came to buying drugs and, you know, everybody else was buying drugs at a level of, you know, a hundred dollars. Like, and that was definitely not the case for me. I was buying at a lot, a much more bulk level um, and splitting things out in a much different way. And so that, gave me a different perception value of myself. Um, and I didn't allow myself to be in that like lemming category, right? Like I acted older than I was. I kept my mouth shut. I didn't need to be in the scene and I stayed the fuck out of trouble. And for the most part, nobody even knew what the fuck was going on. Right. And so that's what worked. And rather than having to showboat and be obsessed with status, I was focused on impact over income, right? And understanding the supply and demand market chains and how that all goes and how that all flows, right? Of, of moving product based on what people needed. And so this meant, you know, putting together, putting together deals and putting together like literal sales um, before there were big weekends, right? It's like, if, if Burning Man was coming up or if Halloween was coming up, everybody else was waiting till the last motherfucking second and then scrambling and spiking their prices. I didn't do that. I got to people, I got to my supply line two weeks before everybody else did and said, hey, I got a fucking fat deal for you because, hey, you're going to go through this process of selling all this stuff coming up for Halloween. So like, let me fucking stack you up right now. And so by the time everyone else was scrambling to make the sale, all of my product was already gone and I got to kick back and enjoy my fucking holidays, <laughs> right? I got to be fucking chilling on the couch doing nothing on Halloween instead of fucking trying to hustle because I understand the hustle and the fucking flow and I have since I was a fucking teenager, right? So I'm ahead of the motherfucking game. And this was no different in the bar industry. You know, as I stepped into selling alcohol, um, first on the front lines, right? Of being a bartender, I understood how speed and efficiency worked. Right. I worked in a bar that had three different bars in it. And so in those three different bars, you had three different bartenders. And in the other two bars, they were fucking slow. They were super slow. They were fucking not really caring about the customers. They were just there to fucking be in the spotlight. And they were perfectly fine with making $300 a night. Well, while they were making $300 a night, I was making $1,000 a night because I was working three times as fast as them. And I was empowering my staff to step up to the fucking plate. Right by paying them extra. I would pay my fucking barbacks way more than anybody else did. And I'd say, do not let my fucking ice run out. Do not let my fucking beer run out. Make sure that I am fully stocked at all times so I can speed up and serve people way faster than the other bars. And so that made it so that all of the people would flock to my bar because they would get, even if my line was longer, they would get a drink faster waiting in my line than the other line. And the other thing that I did was I understood the crowd, right? Now, there are a lot of fucking pretty girls at that bar, right? And there were a lot of pretty girl bartenders. And most of those pretty girl bartenders were fucking bitches, especially to girls, right? They were only nice to the dudes because they're like, well, if I'm nice and I flirt with the dudes, then the dudes will tip me. That is short-sighted fucking stupidity right there. What I did was I made friends with all of the 20-year-old, they were definitely 21 almost, right? <laughs> The 20 and 21 year old crowd, I was super nice to these young college girls who were fucking stunningly beautiful. I was super nice to them and I would fucking hook them up and I would give my comp drinks to them and I would fucking put them first in the front of the line. What did that do? That made sure that my bar the entire motherfucking time was full of hot bitches, which meant that no matter what that one single bartender was doing behind the bar, she couldn't compete with the fucking drove of 22, 22 year olds standing in front of my bar doing hot girl shit, right? So all of the guys would eventually flock over to my bar too. And I didn't have to fucking even give them any attention or flirt with them or waste my fucking time because all of the pretty girls were doing it for me. That's working smarter. 
not harder, right? And that's what you do with sales is that you create this positioning is that if you're going to sell courses or coaching, there's an understanding of volume um, and how the volume works. And what that really means, right, is that I don't need every single person to be a high ticket buyer. I don't need that. If I have low ticket buyers purchasing from me and I value them and I don't treat them like a fucking like they're worthless because they're absolutely not. If I treat them special and give them as much love and affection and all of the things when they buy my $97 thing as they do when they buy my $10,000 thing and I treat everyone in my programs like people, guess what? Word of mouth motherfucking travels and people go where other people are. So if you come to my $97 fucking wonder retreat and have a stellar, amazing time and I sell it to a hundred fucking people, then word of mouth is going to travel on that, right? Rather than what most coaches do, which is kind of like give people like a half-assed shoddy show at 97 bucks, like, well, fuck it, whatever. Like, I don't even really need to get to know these people unless they're going to buy my $10,000 thing. Fuck them right? That shit is short-sighted, not just for the one layer of the person going up the value ladder, but also for the layer of word of mouth. The hot guys go where the pretty girls are, right? The high ticket buyers go where the low ticket buyers are because that's what they fucking eat, right? <laughs> that's what they motherfucking eat. You want to fucking have a teeming pool of badass fucking sharks? You better have some fish to feed them. That's how it goes. So when you start understanding the market share and how you can position your offers, then you start giving people a leg up inside of your programs. One of the examples that I do for this is I have a group called Wonder Pony Alumni. And this is my uh, alumni group that after people purchase into my programs, they get into this special side group um, full of other qualified buyers. And now some of these qualified buyers have only bought Wonder Retreat. So they've only spent $97 or $297, right? They haven't spent $10,000. But all of my clients who've spent $10,000 have access to be able to pitch into this group full of people that have spent $97, right? So they are allowed to nurture, they're allowed to build relationships and network and do all the things. So I am keeping my pool stocked full of fish so that those high ticket buyers constantly want to be in my fucking, I want to be in my ocean because my ocean has a bunch of fucking fish in it, right? And that's what my free group does too, is that I fill it up with people who want to buy. I fill it up with supercharged motherfucking energy so that my clients, when they go and pitch in my group, because they have pitching privileges, once you get into nonstop or Wondermine, you can pitch into my audience too, right? You have this really fucking primed up audience that you have access to that I'm growing literally every motherfucking day. This is above and beyond supply and demand, right? This is hospitality. This is surprise and delight. This is taking things to the next level and making sure that people don't fucking leave because everybody fucking knows, drug dealers and bartenders included, that regulars are your bread and butter. And that is no motherfucking different in the coaching industry. The people who buy from you buy from you again and again, as long as you're a fucking badass. So who should you be valuing? The person that bought that $97 thing. Because that person is going to graduate into buying something else and they're going to have word of mouth and they're going to say great things. They're going to have a great time and they're going to buy from you again and again and again and again. And that lifetime value of that client spikes. It goes way the fuck up, goes way the fuck up when people feel like they are seen and heard and cared for and treated like people, not motherfucking numbers. I've been in some programs where I, well, I'm currently in programs where I am just a motherfucking number. 
And in that, I don't send people into that program. Oh, no, I don't send people there. I don't say you should buy this thing because they shouldn't. I don't feel like that. Right. So not only are you making sure that I'm not going to buy from you again, because I certainly will not. I will not buy from you again. But you're also ensuring that I will not recommend my people. I won't bring my friends to the fucking bar, right? I'm not going to buy a fucking eight ball instead of a, instead of a G for me and all my fucking friends because your shit is bunk, right? And so it's quality product, right? It's quality products and treating people like fucking people and creating repeat buyers. Repeat buyers are what help you to ascend to that next level. And when you go and release new products, programs, services, they're the first ones in line. They want to buy the next hottest thing because they fucking love you because they've had such an amazing experience in their in the existing program, the first program that they bought. So this is something that you want to absolutely incorporate into everything that you do. You want to have this premise, right, that you're thinking about things from the consumer standpoint and how it feels to be them. So if you're selling cocaine, right, do you want the other person that's reaching out to you to feel like you're kind of a dick and like you don't have time for them? Like, of course not. You want to be like, what's up, man? How the fuck can I help you? Like, what do we got today? And then I'm going to upsell your ass, right? When you're like, oh, get a jeep. Like, oh, come on, dude. I just got this shit in from fucking, I just got this shit in from Columbia. It's fucking dope. We got East Coast fucking running this week. We got East Coast running this week. Believe me, you are going to fucking want to get the fucking ball. Like, if not the fucking QP, like, let's go. Like, let's, let's move this product, right? Like, let's get some more on here because I want people to buy more. Okay. And yeah, I make more money if I sell it out piece by piece, but that doesn't make my supplier more money, right? That doesn't help them. And the supplier relationship is what keeps me in business. So I want to keep my supplier fucking happy by buying more in bulk, buying more volume from him so that he keeps my train fucking coming first. And that when he gets new shit in, in, in line, like I'm the first one to fucking know right? So then I have a corner on the market for all the pricing. So you got to think about these things, but more than just that fucking shiny little dime that's on the ground, think about the dollar over there. Don't step over that dollar to get that fucking dime. Think about the long-term effects of this. And when you treat somebody with fucking respect and you're like, yeah, man, like, let me hook you up. Like I've got this fucking new product line in. You want to fucking come and get some of this. Like you're going to want to get it before everybody else does. And you give them the fucking upper hand. They feel appreciated. They feel like they matter. And so if their buddy's like, uh, I'm going to get some shit too, right? They're like, oh, dude, my girl's got the fucking hookup for you, right? And they send you more business so that you don't have to do any fucking legwork because new customers are the most expensive of customers to acquire, not just in price, but fucking time and energy and give a fuck. It's harder to get a new client than it is to have an older client buy from you again or have a client refer somebody to you, right? You want to make sure that you're really valuing each and every one of your consumers so that they value you, right? Reciprocal energy. Same thing in the bar land. When we move into alcohol, those regulars that pack up your bar, they do more they do more than just buy their fucking, I don't know, 16 Bud Lights today, which is only like 40 bucks. <laughs> more than the 40 bucks that they're spending at the bar, they're keeping a seat full, which gives the perception that your bar is busy. When you have 14 seats at your bar and 10 of them are consistently full, then anytime anybody walks into your bar, they're like, this place is popping. And they stay longer and they're happier to be there. And they recommend that place to their friends. They take pictures. They post them on fucking Instagram. They do all the shit because they're having a good fucking time, right? If your regulars aren't filling up those fucking seats with their only $40 of spending today, you have no vibe. You have no, you have no at 
atmosphere. And the reason that people go to a fucking bar is not to drink. I know, sounds crazy, right? But people go to a bar to feel a fucking feeling that they can't feel at home. Let's face it, drinking Jack and Coke at home is way fucking cheaper, way fucking faster, and way fucking easier than drinking Jack and Coke at a fucking bar. But people don't go to the bar to drink Jack and Coke. They go to the bar to feel a motherfucking feeling. And if you're not cultivating an atmosphere and that environment and that vibe of all these people love motherfucking being here and they're having a great time, if you can't cultivate that, well, then don't expect to have fucking customers because you're not doing your fucking job. Your job as a bartender is not to make drinks. I know, crazy, right? Your job as a bartender is to make people feel a motherfucking feeling. And that starts with your regulars. When you can help your regulars to feel a fucking feeling and they show up day after day after day, only spending that 40 bucks, right? <laughs> then you are cultivating a consistent atmosphere so that new people can come and layer on top of that bread and butter base. And those regulars, whenever they have friends in town, whenever they're in the mood to fucking go party with their friends, their first question in their head is going to be, I wonder if Nicole's working tonight, right? And then that keeps your bar full, even not on the Tuesday shifts, on the fucking Friday night shifts, you get those regulars popping in and out, right? And they're the ones that tip you fat. They're the ones that you have a lasting relationship with. All of that fucking plays a factor in your overall sales. We don't look at sales one night at a time. We look at the sales monthly and quarterly. And we look at how we consistently drive all of those moving touch points so that we build more regulars on different days. You might have completely different regulars on Mondays than you do on Wednesdays. But both the Monday and Wednesday regulars, when they go out to party on Friday night, they end up at your bar at the same time, cultivating this kind of hybrid environment that makes it popping. It gives that tension, that electric charge that all of the people who only go out on Friday and Saturday nights want to feel, right? They want to feel that amped up vibe. And your Monday and Wednesday people are the ones that cultivate and prime that vibe. So this all comes down to economics, right? understanding the principles of buying behavior and why people show up. And we learn that easily in selling drugs and selling booze. And when we can bring that into the coaching industry, we have a massive competitive edge. Just motherfucking massive because other people don't think about it like this. Other people think about it in exactly the way that their cookie cutter robot fucking coach taught them how to. It was like, okay, you're going to build a group and you're going to put a pink, white, and tote banner on it. And then you're going to run a special that says, I'm going to teach you how to make 10K in a masterclass. And then everybody runs the exact same fucking masterclass. And before we all know it, like we're all just running around like a bunch of little fucking ants scurrying after a pile of fucking sugar. And nobody knows their ass from the fucking hole in the ground because everything looks exactly the fucking same and there is no competitive edge and everyone makes a tiny bit of money and then everyone turns their heads to the right and slightly up and they see that fucking guru up there fucking slaying it why is that guru up there slaying it because he didn't do the same thing as everybody else that's why okay so if you want to be wildly successful be competitive Compete against who you were yesterday. Get better. Get in that state of mind where you really want to genuinely offer something that is better than everybody else. Not just the product itself, but the delivery mechanisms, the sales, the marketability. You're not trying to come up with a hundred different things to sell. You're kind of trying to come up with a hundred ways to sell something in an amazingly impactful way so that people say, damn, that's fucking dope. I want that, right? Because it stands out. And I got news for you. 
that shit is easy. <laughs> that shit is easy because so many people are doing exactly the same thing. You don't believe me? Just go watch Instagram ads for a fucking hot minute, right? It's just the same ad over and over and over again. It's the same bitch with the same lipstick. She looks exactly the same. Like that's all they do is dress the same, same picture, same high heels, same exact motherfucking offer. And yeah, they make a little bit of fucking money doing it, right? But only the ones at the top, right? Only the ones at the top make a little bit of money fucking doing it because they're the ones that got to do it first, right? That market fucking is saturated. That ship has sailed. Now, if you want to be competitive in this industry, you got to be a fucking player and you got to play chess, not fucking checkers, bitch. And that means really stepping into your competitive edge. So what is that? Where did you learn about fucking sales and marketing? Where did you learn about your zone of motherfucking genius? What are you really good at that you can bring into not just your delivery? That's not enough. doesn't matter how amazing your fucking delivery is if you can't market and you can't fucking sell, right? How can you bring your competitive edge into your marketing and your sales? I just showed you how I did mine, right? My competitive edge is fucking hospitality. And I did it in the bar industry and I did it in the fucking, in the Coke dealing industry. I did it, right? And I brought that to the coaching industry in a completely different way than everybody else motherfucking does it. Not by being nice. I did it by being honest and anticipating other people's fucking needs, which is what I did in the bar industry too. I was not a nice bartender or a nice drug de dealer. I was a good one. I was really good at what I fucking did. And I was really good at making drinks. I was really good at fucking, at fucking connecting to people and seeing what they want and what drove them and what inspired them and what, what they wanted, what their currency was, what they valued. If the reason that they were sitting at the bar was because they just wanted to get away from home for a little while and just be in their own fucking energy, then I left them the fuck alone and kept their drink fucking full, right? But if they wanted somebody to nag them a little because they missed their wife because they were out on fucking, they were out on business three or four weeks, three or four weeks at a time. And so they missed that nagging thing. Then when I serve them dinner, I fucking tell them, eat your fucking vegetables before you get dessert, right? <laughs> I did that shit because I could see what they need. You want to know why? Because I was listening and I cared and I gave a fuck. And I understood that hospitality is not just being nice. Coaching is not being nice. It's not even a fucking prereq. You do not need to be nice to be a coach. What you need to be is fucking attentive. What you need to be to be good at marketing is fucking creative, right? Creative and interesting and inspiring. That's what makes great marketing. And you know what makes great sales? You shutting the fuck up and listening. Do you have good listening skills? Can you anticipate other people's needs? Do you know what they want before they can even fucking articulate it? Those are the skill sets that you get to work on to get better at fucking sales. I bring hospitality to that game because I'm used to listening to people. I listen to people when I was selling them fucking coke and I listen to people when I was selling them fucking booze. And I listen to people now. That allows me a competitive edge because I'm not thinking about what's the next thing that's going to come out of my mouth. Oh shit, am I following the script? That's not how I fucking think when I'm doing marketing and sales. I listen and I say, oh man, what does this person need right now to help them to feel better? What does this person need right now? What kind of question can I ask them to help them to see themselves differently? That's what I'm thinking about when you're talking to me. Not what am I going to fucking say next? Oh man, did I follow the script? How do I make this person buy my thing? Right? That's not fucking sales. That's robot trash. You don't have to fucking run it that way. Like some of the gurus will tell you that they, that you do, but fucking one point fucking $4 million in 
15 months begs to differ. You don't have to fucking do it that way. You can bring your sales and marketing game into your arena, into your motherfucking zone of genius, into the thing that you really excel at. What is that thing? What is that thing that you do better than motherfucking everybody else? Bring that shit into your marketing. Get creative. Get passionate. Get inspired. And let it trickle into that fucking sales process too. I know it's already going to be in the delivery. I don't have to fucking tell you that. You deliver like a fucking boss and I know that. But if you want to get better in sales and marketing, then take what you know from the past, what has worked for you, what your zone of genius is, what your passion is, and bring that into the marketing and sales game. Okay? Because remember, you can run a podcast about anything you fucking want and you can even name it. Real unicorns don't wear pants. For more trouble, go to realunicornsdon'twearpants.com, hit that subscribe button, and remember, hashtag fuck pants.